It's a blessing to be here. You know, um, when Pastor Mike called me and asked me if I would share a word tonight, you know, I, I was excited by it because it's been a while since I've been able to share the word here. I am helping out with the equip class and I get to have gotten to meet some of the, the, the people, the students who are part of that program. Um, but it's a blessing to be here. For those of you who don't know me, I've been pastoring for over 30 years now. And I, I came out of Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge. Um, I was there on staff for 10, I was a Baptist pastor before I was in, uh, in Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge. I was there for 10 years, did a church plant for 15 years. And the last couple of years, the Lord has had me really investing in, in my family and in pastors. And I have a ministry to pastors where I try to encourage them. So when Mike asked me to come here and to share it, I said to him, you know, do you want me to continue through study? Because I know you guys are going through Genesis radio. That it's, you know, we don't have to worry about it being one pastor so it can go on the radio. Because you're already sharing that opportunity. And Mike said, whatever you want. And I really am blessed by chapter 12 of Genesis. The book of Genesis in and of itself is a great book. You know, we call it the book of beginnings. That's what Genesis means. It's the book of beginnings. And in this book, God continues through each and every step to reveal his plan for the salvation of all of mankind. That's really what the whole Bible is about, is God revealing his plan of redemption for you and I, his plan to bring about for each and every one of us a full and wonderful relationship with him. That's what life is really all about, a full and wonderful relationship with the Lord our God. And it's only possible because of who God is. The Bible is, is an interesting book. The first two chapters talk about a wonderful relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. The last two chapters talk about the new heavens and the new earth and the wonderful relationship with God. And everything in between is about fallen man and how God is doing everything he can to bring us into a relationship with him. And so we have this book here that speaks of the failure of mankind, one failure after another. So when you're failing, don't feel so bad. Because life is made up of people who fail God one another. But God had a perfect plan, and his perfect plan included his son. But for him to bring his son, he needed to have a genealogy. And that's what we're in the middle of. But as we look at the failure, so just in what you've seen so far, right? Chapter 1 and 2 great relationship with God. Chapter 3, man and, and woman, Adam and Eve, get kicked out of the garden. You know, chapter 4, the first murder, Cain kills his brother. Chapter 6 to 8, mankind gets so bad that God needs to cleanse the earth with a flood and start over again with, with eight new people. Chapter 9, the father of that group of people that God started another beginning with, Noah gets drunk and exposes himself to his son. Chapter 11, once again, mankind, defying God, is going to build a city and a tower to be like God. 
God has to bring confusion and change their languages to end the rebellion, and he scatters mankind from Babel all over the earth. Out from that scattering, God has one son of Noah, Shem, that he's going to bring forth the line of the Messiah through. You know, when we think about this book and where we are coming into chapter 12, the words that come to my mind are, but God. (laughs) But God. Those are wonderful words. Because if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. We would be out struggling with the world, like the world, in all the things they struggle with. But God had a plan. They're the most wonderful words to me of the Bible, but God. Because it means God's going to intervene once again. And God continues to intervene. He intervened in the lives of those who have gone before us, and he's intervening in your life right now. And he will continue to intervene in your life because he loves you. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God foretold his plan. His plan of redemption and salvation that the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman who would be Jesus ultimately, would bruise and would crush the head of serpent. But to get to Jesus, God had a plan. And that plan involved the lineage of Abraham. Abraham is in the in the fam of the family of Shem. In chapter 12 he's called Abram. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen speaking of this time calls him Abraham. So I'm going to call him Abraham. If Stephen can do it, I feel like I can do it too. I'm not going to confuse us with Abram, Abraham. His name will get changed eventually in chapter 17. But I'm going to call him Abraham tonight because that's really who we know of him. Despite what we've seen in the book of Genesis so far, the disobedience, the murder, the deception, the drunkenness, the nudity, and the rebellion, God called a man, Abraham called him specifically to go to a new land that God might give humanity another new beginning because humanity needed it. Genesis chapter 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, 
to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. Lord, we ask that you take your word and you bless it to us, Lord, and you take the words that will be spoken tonight, and through your Holy Spirit, touch each and every one of us. Allow us to be transformed, to become more like Jesus, that we might go out into the world with the good news of the gospel. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Last week, I believe it was Pastor Mike was up here and he was teaching you from from Genesis chapter 11, where you find of the genealogy of this one called Shem, you know, the son of Noah, which is the lineage from which we would get Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Shem's descendants included Terah. Terah was the father of Abraham and Sarah. We learn that later on, that he's also Sarah's, you know, father. What we do know about this family that was called, what do we know about this family that was called and used by God so greatly? I'm sure you've been taught that well through the years. I know Pastor Chris in the past has taught you. I know Pastor Mike has taught you, and I'm sure the others have taught you. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It's not what other people have to say about it, including me, but it's what the Bible has to say. And the Bible tells us some things about Terah and Abraham and their family. And where we find out some very interesting facts about this family and Abraham comes from Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 and 3. Joshua said, this is what the word tells us, that Joshua said to all the people, the people of Israel that would be, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. Then I took your father from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Did you hear those words? They served other gods. They had no idea who the true and living God was. They were serving false gods. That's this family. That was the area in which they were surrounded. In fact, we know that from the time of Jacob, when Jacob got into a problem with his brother Esau and said, you know, I think I'll take a wife from my family and I'll go back there. I'll go back to my family and get a wife. And Jacob went back to get a wife and he went to the family that, came, from which Abraham came, went and found his wife Rachel. When it came time for Jacob to take Rachel and Leah and, their, and his children and leave, Rachel stole her father's God. <laughs> A false God, an idol. They were still serving false gods several generations later. They served false gods. That's who they were. What does that tell us about God calling Abraham? 
tells us it's grace, doesn't it? Tells us it's all about grace. It's always been about grace and it will always be about grace because that's who our God is. He called them out of grace. Whenever God calls a man or a woman, when God called you, he's calling you because of his grace. It's about grace and by grace that we're saved. The Bible tells us a few other things about Abraham. Abraham became known as the friend of God. James chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that which is just repeating what 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7 says, and Isaiah 41, verse 8 says. In both of those places, Abraham is referred to as a friend of God. Abraham is known in the Bible as a man of faith. He is a man of faith, you know. How do we know that? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, when you get there in verse 6, it's going to tell us that Abraham believed in the Lord, that's faith, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That is repeated in Romans chapter 4. It's repeated in Galatians chapter 3. And it's even spoken by James. In that same place where James tells us in chapter 2, verse 23, that Abraham was a, a, a friend of God, it tells us that Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, how did Abraham get to that place where he would be known as a friend of God, as a man of faith, and would eventually become the father of many nations? Now, it might surprise you to know because we always talk about God's plan through Israel Abraham was not Jewish. Abraham was not Jewish. The Jewish people didn't exist until his grandson had his name changed from Jacob to Israel, and he had 12 sons. So God's calling of a man to bring forth a nation, the nation Israel, came from a Gentile. He came from a Gentile. That's who he was. He would be the one that would be the grandfather, the great-grandfather of Judah from which Jesus would be his tribe. As we look at the life of Abraham, and you're going to be looking at him for a number of weeks because a lot of the book of Genesis is about Abraham, and rightfully so, as the father of many nations, as what we call a patriarch, you know, a father of of those who believe. He's a father for both Jew and Gentile, for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that Abraham has a lot of acts of faith, or obedience is a good way of describing what faith is, because faith for us is about obeying who God is. That's what we're called to be. That's who he was called to be. That's what we're called to be. Obedience is better than sacrifice. That's what the scriptures tell us. We're called to be obedient to God. You know, and though Abraham's life was filled with acts of obedience, oftentimes it wasn't full obedience. And we're going to see that tonight when we read the rest of the chapter. We're going to see it was often not full obedience. But nonetheless, he did have obedience. He did have obedience to God. And that's kind of where... It brings us to this, to this point in his life, okay? 
To understand Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, again, we need to go back to verse 31, which Mike would have talked about of chapter 11. In verse 31 of chapter 11, it tells us, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Oftentimes, the Bible will repeat a story to give additional details and will put some things in perspective. If you just read through this and you don't look to the rest of the scriptures to understand what's going on, you would think chapter 12 follows chapter 11, verse 31. But that's not exactly how it happened. We know that because Stephen the first martyr of the church in Acts chapter 7 gave an amazing sermon. One of the best sermons in history was given by Stephen. And this is what Stephen tells us, um, beginning in verse 1. The high priest said, are these things so? And he, Stephen, begins his sermon saying, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which he, you now dwell and God gave him no inheritance to it. So this chapter 12 is actually taking place before Abraham moves with Terah to Haran. He, this call comes to Abraham when he's in Ur of the Chaldeans. God says to him, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land I will show you. We don't know how long it takes, and we don't know why. We know Abram was living in a land following false gods. It was Ur of the Chaldeans. And we know from what Stephen tells us that as he's living there with all these false gods, the God of glory appears to him. There's no indication from the scripture that he had any idea who the God of glory was, who the true and living God was. There's no reason to believe he would have known that. But all of a sudden, here's this man whose name means father, who has no children, and his name means father, is probably minding his own business. And here comes the God of glory. I can't even imagine what that was like. And yet I can. You know, the God of glory appears to Abraham, and what does he tell him? It's time for you to leave your comfort zone. It's time for you to leave everyone you know. doesn't say his wife, but it's time for you to get out of your country. It's time to get out from your family and from your father's house. That's what it's time for you to do, Abram. 
Abraham, it's time for you to move. Can't you just hear Abraham saying, and where am I going? And God says, to a land I'll show you. Thanks, God. To a land you're going to show me? Yeah, to the land I'll show you. See, Abraham, you don't need to know where you're going to end up. You just need to know who's leading you. So all we need to know today, we don't need to know our five-year plan because we might not even have five plans. All we need to know is, what is God telling us today? Is the God of glory appearing to you right now in your life? Is the God of glory revealing to you there are things that you need to change in your life? Is the God of glory telling you it's time to move on? And you're saying, but God, where? Where, God? Where do you want me to go? And God says, just take the step and I'll lead you. Just take the step and I'll lead you. But we know from the story, though the God, God appeared to him, the God of glory appeared to him and said, this is what I want you to do. We haven't even gotten to the promises that God has given him. This is all, all God's saying is, this is what it's time for you to do, Abram. And for some reason, Abram delays. He delays, right? And what does the scripture tell us? in verse 31 of chapter 11, that it actually was his father who took him and Lot and Sarah and moved them along the journey. The journey begin, began because of the father, because the, the, the father did that. His father initiated it, but yet Abraham was the one who was told to do it. But the journey only goes so far. And we don't know how far. If, if you look at, at the commentators and, 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 the, and the historians and the archaeologists, there's two possible locations for where, where this Haran would be. Now, remember, Haran was the name of Lot's father also. So there's one that says it was like a two-day journey from Ur of the Chaldeans and one that said it was a far journey. And people believe in different ones, and both of them could be true, but it doesn't really matter which one of them it is. The journey... be ends there for a period of time. We don't know how long that period of time was. And the journey only gets picked up again when Terah dies. When Terah dies. And at that point, Abraham is 75 years old. For him, he's not even at the midpoint of his life. Sarah's at the midpoint of her life at this point, right? Prior to the appearance of the glory of God, there's no indication that he would have known anything about this living and true God. There's nothing that shows Abraham to be worthy or deserving. And his first steps are only partial steps. What does that tell us? What does that tell you? I hope it tells you it's all about grace. It's all about grace. See, God doesn't look for the worthy ones to call him. There was nothing worthy. There was nothing deserving of Abraham to become the father of many nations, which he is. There was nothing worthy in Abraham to be called, to have received the appearance of the God of glory. Because it's all about God. It's all about God. God is gracious in his calling of Abraham kind of brings to mind to me John chapter 15, verse 16, where Jesus said, 
you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. (laughs) See, that's true for every one of us. For me and my Christian walk, I was 32, almost 33 years old before I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I even heard the gospel, I knew about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I knew about the fear of God, but I never knew about the grace of God. I never knew God wanted a personal relationship with me. And when I heard the gospel, or actually read the gospel for the first time, that Jesus died for my sins, that I might have a relationship with him, I believed. I became a believer. And I spent the next year trying to show God what a good choice he made in me. You know, God, it's a good thing I'm on your team. Good thing you got me. And I realized, no, it's not about me. God didn't choose me because I'm good. God has made me good because he's chose me. That's how it happens. And that's what happened here with, with, you know, Abraham. And so God tells him what to do. He tells him some blessings, and we'll look at them in a minute. But chapter 12, verse 4, is where the journey picks up again. Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Took a little bit of time. But Abraham's now back on that journey right again. You know, it's after the death of his father. And it's interesting to note in scriptures, names also have significant meanings. Terah, his father's name, means delay. Delay. Haran, it means parched or barren. And so here he is with his father, whose name means delay, and living in a land that means parched or barren. And how did he get there? How did he get to the point of delay and to parched or barren? He got there through partial obedience. Partial obedience will put you in a place of delay and in a place of barrenness. That's what partial obedience does. I mean, it's better than no obedience, you know? And it's good when we can pick up and move forward like Abraham did, you know? The journey begins here and continues here with more partial obedience. You know what that partial obedience is this time? Who did he bring with him? He brought his nephew, Lot. Probably felt a responsibility before him because, you know, Lot's father was dead. But Jesus said, get away from your father's family. He didn't say, bring your father's family with you. Because family sometimes can get in the way of what God wants. Yeah, I know that's a hard statement. But it's a true statement. Not always, but sometimes they can. He departs for Canaan, and it tells us there that he eventually reaches in verse 7. Verse 6, it tells us he reached, you know, after passing the the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of of Moreh. There he was in the land of Canaan, where God called him to. He finally is to the land where God has called him. And what happens in the land when he gets there? Tells us the Lord appeared to him again 
and spoke to him and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. As he ends up in that place where God was calling him to, to go to that land called Canaan, he ends up again hearing God's voice with God appearing to him. And what does God do? Tells him, I'm going to bless you. Your descendants will have that land. It goes back to the blessings of, of, of the beginning of, of chapter 12 in, in verse 2 and 3 where God said, I will make you a great nation. At this point in Abram's life, that hasn't happened. But today that's happened, hasn't it? Abraham, Father Abraham, is, is the father of many nations. He said, I will bless you and make your name great. It's one of the greatest names we have today in the family of faith is Abraham. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Tells us in Revelation 9 or chapter 5 verse 9, as they're gathered around the throne worshiping, they come from every nation and people and tribe and tongue. out of every nation, because of Abraham's obedience, God appears to him once again. So as we begin to look at this life of faith in Abraham, we see that it's a life of faith, but it's interspersed with a lack of faith, you know? And as we think about that, we don't want to so much focus on the lack of faith. We want to learn from his lack of faith, but we want to look at some additional words that are spoken about Abraham, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. It tells us, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Those are the words the author of Hebrew tells us, inspired by God, breathed by God, for us to remember about Abraham. Not so much his, his lack of faith. We can learn from that. But he went out. He went out to a land he did not know. But he went, he obeyed, it tells us, not knowing where he was going, kept waiting, knowing God had something greater for him, that God had a place for him. It, in what we read in verses 8 and 9, Abraham moves on. He pitches his tent with, you know, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Bethel, you've been taught well, the name Bethel means the house of God. The name Ai means ruins or destruction. And Abraham finds himself in Canaan, situated between the house of God and the world's offer of destruction. And so often that's where we find ourselves, between God and the world, caught up in this place where God's on one side and the world is on the other side. And the way it was set up, it would be like the sun is rising over the world, but it's setting in Christ. And are we looking at that? Are we doing that? And what does he do here? 
Again, he builds an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. Abraham's life will be marked by two things, his tent and his altars. His tent is a reminder that he's a stranger in this world. This world is not our home, folks. This world is not our home. We want to have the best that God will give to us while we're here, but this world is not our home. As a tent, you know, living in a tent for him, it was a reminder to him that he was a stranger, an alien in the land, and a pilgrim. And a pilgrim is someone who's on a journey. He's not a vagabond. He's not a fugitive, as Cain was. He's a pilgrim. He's a sojourner. He's not at home, but he's on his way home. That's what a pilgrim is, is one who's on a journey to home. His altar... His tent marked him as a stranger here on earth and his altar marked him as a citizen of heaven, that he belonged to the true and living God whom he worshipped. His tent was what, you know, represented his separation from the world and his altar was his devotion to God. Does it remind you of any verse you should know? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Abraham had tents and had altars to remind him he belonged to God and not to this world, though he settled in the middle of it. And in settling in the middle of it, his life was not perfect. And when he sinned, he suffered for it. Bringing Lot along on this journey ended up not being such a blessing eventually became trouble, inconvenience. When we try to bring the old life along with us into the new, it brings trouble and inconvenience. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We don't need the old anymore. We don't need the old anymore. We don't want to bring it along with us. You know, the sooner we realize we need to be separated from our past, the better You know, Paul said this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press forward for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yet Paul told us everything that happened to him in his past, didn't he? So what did he mean by forgetting what's behind? Is the past didn't own him anymore. Is your past owning you today? Is your past taking control of your life? Whatever your circumstances are, is your past ruling you? Or have you taken authority in the name of Christ over your past and are moving forward, moving forward to that prize, the upward call that God has for you in Christ Jesus? A life of faith demands we separate from all that is not of God and a life that is totally devoted to all that is holy. That's what a life of faith is. Abraham would often yield to the compromise that presented itself to him. In fact, when we read the rest of the chapter, which we're going to do as he journeys to the south here, picking up in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well for me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram 
came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with a great plague because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. When we're saved, even though we know we're saved by faith, by grace through faith, our life in faith is oftentimes tested. Our faith is going to be tested. And it's our obedience in the test that ju demonstrates just how strong our faith is. For Abraham, that next test was a famine in the land. He was exactly where God wanted him to be, but there was a famine in the land. And so often, these tests or trials or temptations to compromise follow our victories. Abraham was victorious. He got where God wanted him to be in the land of Canaan. But guess what? Canaan wasn't what Abraham expected it to be. That ever happened to you? You follow God and you get in a place, but it's not what you expected. Well, God didn't tell you that's what it would be, but you expected it anyway. But God was in the land of Canaan. That's where he was. This famine, this famine came, you know, and oftentimes these tests help us from becoming prideful. Whether it's a, a test from the Lord, a temptation, or a, an attack from the enemy, we need to be prepared. You need to be prepared because it's going to come. And if we trust in the Lord in the middle of the trial or the temptation, our faith will grow. That's a given. It will happen. You know, our life is also off often made up of circumstances, not what we want or what we expected. Abraham didn't want a famine at all, you know. He had to be questioning himself and questioning God. I'm sure he was saying, did I hear God? This is where he wants me? There's a famine here. We don't know that he's ever even experienced a famine before or anything close to that. And here he is. He's saying, did I hear God? God, is this really where you want me to be? Does your blessing, because you promised me a blessing, does your blessing, God, include a famine? Does it include the struggles in your life, the trials that come your way when you say, why me? Why us, God? His blessing oftentimes comes in the middle of those times. What is it in your life that you're questioning right now? Where you're questioning yourself and you're questioning God. Whatever it is, let me encourage you to not do one thing. Don't do what Abraham did. Abraham tried to run away from his problem. He went down to Egypt, trying to run from his problem, thinking that would be his solution. He ran to Egypt. He went down. 
When the scriptures talk about Egypt, it usually is giving a picture of the world, and it is always referenced, you go down to Egypt, you go up to Jerusalem. <laughs> you go down to the world, you go up to God. Okay? When you try to run away from your problems, you're turning to the world. Running to Egypt for Abraham was a turning to the world. Going down there to Egypt meant doubting God's promises and turning to the world or even self for help. Don't turn to yourself for help. Self-help is never good. Turn to the Lord our God and trust in his promises and his faithfulness. Abraham, like most of us, found it's real easy to trust God in the promises of far off, but not in the right now needs. It's easy to trust God for the future, isn't it? Heaven, that's great. What about in the immediate need you have right now? Who are you trusting? Abraham was trusting in the world to provide an answer. But guess what happened when Abraham got to Egypt? He found a whole nother set of problems. <laughs> Running away from the problems. You know when you run away from a problem, you know the one thing that remains the same? You. <laughs> you go with your problem. And Abram, Abraham ran into a new set of problems. And it caused him to face another test real soon. Because he didn't do well in this test, he gets another test. In Canaan, Abraham's problem to put it mildly, was just a famine. <laughs> In Egypt, Abraham's problem became Pharaoh, a godless ruler who thought he was a god, who was the most powerful man in the world. And on his way there, in this situation, Abraham turns from trusting God to scheming. Don't turn from trusting to scheming. Abraham schemed. How did he schemed? Well, in Egypt, first of all, we don't see any building of altars or calling on the name of the Lord. But in Egypt, we find him, you know, not trusting the word of God, but leaning on the wisdom of man. You all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You probably can sing it. You've sang it with the kids. We sing it all the time. And we know it, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Well, we know that, but do we trust in him, trust in the Lord with all of our heart? Or is the part of our heart we've held back? Is there a famine in our heart where I can't trust God in the famine? And therefore I turn to leaning on some of my own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding because your own understanding will crumble and you will fall as it does with Abraham. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. And when he directs your path, stay on the path. Stay on the path. His footsteps are our pathway. The psalmist tells us that. We're told his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. We're told he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Don't get off his path and go off on your own. He, doesn't, he hasn't asked us to be trailblazers. He's asked us to be followers, committed followers. And so in his scheming, he turns to a half-truth, which is a whole lie. 
It's in chapter 20 that we find out that Sarah is, you know, his, is the daughter of his father, but not his mother. So she's a half-sister. So he turns to that, right? And in turning to our own ways, we move from confidence in God to being focused on the fear of man. Why did Abraham do that? Why did he do that? Why did he tell Sarah, say you're my sister? Because they're going to think you're my wife and they're going to kill me. Oh, and that wouldn't be good for you, by the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what is it? Trusting, when we turn from confidence and we, we, we turn to look at fear of man, it leads us to focus on ourselves. He was more concerned about himself than the position he was putting his wife in, who was to be the one who with him would be, she would be the mother, but he would be the father of many nations. And he was putting her in a vulnerable position. He was supposed to be a blessing to others. And because of his disobedience in the way he was living in the world, he became a curse to him. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse them who curse you. What happened to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's family is God brought judgment upon them. Why? Because of Abraham's action. In Isaiah chapter 51, verse 2, it tells us that God called Abraham alone. But because he called him alone and he calls each of us alone, doesn't mean we're to be in isolation or to think our actions don't affect others. Because every one of our actions, every time we disobey God, it bears consequences to others. That might be family, it might be the church family, it impacts others whether we, we obey God and have a good influence or whether we disobey God and have a bad influence, our actions have consequences upon the lives of others. Abraham had an up and down faith. He had an up and down life. You'll see that in the future chapters. But God remains faithful. His promises, his will. In chapter 13, we know and you'll get to this next week, but I, I can't leave the story off here. Because the beginning of chapter 13 says Abraham went up from Egypt. He went back into a relationship with God. He's, there's an indication here of repentance, a lesson learned, but it tells us in chapter 13 he goes back to that place where he built the altar and heard from the Lord. He called upon the Lord we want to realize that when we look at this episode, especially when we read that part about Pharaoh blessing Abraham because of, of Sarah, you know, gave him all sorts of wealth and stuff. He left with money and riches and, and herds and flocks. And what happened when he got back into the promised land is Lot and Abraham's servants couldn't get along because they had so much. Oh, Sarah, she got a maidservant. Oh, that was a great deal, right? Got a maidservant. Who is she? What is she called? The bondwoman. And even today, there's trouble between nations because of the difference between the children of the bondwoman and the children 
of the call of God. And so the good isn't enough to outweigh the trouble that's there. What practical lesson do I want to leave you with today? The practical lesson for us is to never abandon your altar. Don't walk away from the altar you're building to God, your place of worship. Keep on worshiping and never cease, never cease calling upon the name of the Lord to keep praying and to keep trusting regardless of the circumstances. Fellowship with God and trusting in God has to be our priority. What happens if you find yourself in Egypt? What do you do when you find yourself in Egypt outside the will of God? Do the same thing Abraham did. Go back to the place where you left him and make it right. Confess, repent, receive his forgiveness. Abraham did. It's for us. God chose a man from an idolatrous land to become the father of the nation Israel from whom would come the Messiah Jesus who would bring salvation to not just the Jews but to all the world, to the Gentile as well. We've been called to be his light in the world, to let his light shine through us. Abraham was called to leave what he knew and go to a place he did not know. We're called to go into the whole world, beginning in our own Jerusalem, which is our family, and our Judea, our neighborhood, and maybe even to the uttermost parts of the earth. But you only want to go there if God's calling you to do that. But what are we called to do? We're called to go and make disciples. I'm doing a discipleship program with two young men, and the book uses a great description of a disciple. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus. Not just a follower of Jesus, but a committed follower of Jesus. Make yourself to be a committed follower of Jesus. And let your life be a life of faith in the true and living God. And along the way, don't forget that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Because God knows we need new beginnings.